by um, a bunch of tofu. It's like, oh gosh, but soy, you know, increases your estrogen levels. And so you don't want to do that. You got to have this, you know, special, you know, I don't know, like bird poop. <laughs> just, just, fertilized yeah. special yeah. bird poop. Yeah. Make like, sure it's organic. Yeah. Just look up and open your mouth. <laughs> it's gonna be the next thing that Gwyneth Paltrow sells. I know. It's like, it's like this protein is 100% dehydrated bird poop. <laughs> Hi, we're Kara and Jill, two trainers, owners of Push Fitness, and the hosts of this podcast. During training sessions with our clients, we often tell them to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And we're saying that right now to you too. Let's push ourselves. Let's push ourselves to see fitness differently. Let's push the envelope when it comes to self-love. Let's push a new narrative about women and weight. Let's push out harmful ideas about the body that are rooted in racism and patriarchy. Let's find a new definition of fitness that welcomes all people. You ready? I'm ready. Let's push, push it. it. Hello and welcome to the Push Podcast. This is season two, episode three. We are coming to you from Kara's driveway. That's right. We bring you to all the best places, really. We really do. Yeah. It is like 66 degrees here in Salem, Oregon, which mm-hmm. may not seem super sunny to you, but it is as warm as it's been here. And so we are soaking up every little bit of sunshine that we can get. Yep. Yeah. In fact, I've already started to feel some little speckles of a sunburn. <laughs> <laughs> Jill is like, she goes out in the sun for like 10 minutes and you know exactly what she was wearing the next day. Like, because you can see her clothes are like painted on in sunburn. Uh-huh. <laughs> that may or may not have recently happened. Yes. She came over for a workout and I was like, oh, look at that. I was like, but what were you wearing? <laughs> she knew. <laughs> she know She knows my wardrobe as limited as it is. <laughs> Yes. But yeah, so we are really enjoying the sunshine. And so you're probably going to hear some um, outside noises, but I think the last time we did this, it turned out fine. So yeah, you'll, you'll hang with us. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. So what's been going on? Well, gosh, it's been spring break. So um, we actually, and it was sort of not even planned this way, but we actually went on a spring break vacation with the family to the beach and it was great. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing I wish that could have made it better is if my older son was there too. Yeah. But uh, my younger son got to play in the tide pools and roll down the dunes. And Oh gosh, I haven't, I didn't even tell you this yet. So while we were there, we ran into one of my husband's friends and he was there with his daughter and his wife and his daughter is the same age as my youngest. And they got to playing and had like the best time. We're digging in the sand, rolling down the dunes, running up and down the beach together. And so now um, Oliver is, is 
this is his plan. And he hasn't told his new friend this yet, but this <laughs> is the plan that he and Maxine are going to get married. Oh, and there will be two dads. There will be him and Jack. Because... You know, I was just going to ask. <laughs> like, what happened to my son? Because <laughs> up until now, it's been that there's going to be the two dads. Like the, when uh-huh. they take, they get like, they have this little dinosaur egg toy and they'll play with it. And, and for a long time, they were fighting over who was going to be the mom and who was going to be the dad. So we did finally get to a point where we convinced the boys that there could be two dads. Yeah. Or like, let's just have two dads. Like, right. Duh. And yeah. they were totally on there like, oh, yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah. So, yes. Okay, good. I'm glad that Jack fits into the marriage plan because, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we've had the we don't care who you like talk, but we have not had the polygamy talk yet or right. the open relationship talk. Yes. <laughs> so, I don't know. I I'm definitely going to need some assistance on this. I'm definitely going to be clicking into my six-minute sex ed and seeing if there's anything on there for uh, – different types of relationships well yeah i mean all parties involved need to <laughs> need to agree to the terms so <laughs> right <laughs> we'll see how that goes <laughs> but yeah um what about you oh let's see so we um we've been sort of getting rid of some old furniture and getting some new stuff kind of like kind of like spring cleaning without the cleaning <laughs> I mean, why bother when you have kids? <laughs> I, you know, I have, it's funny that you bring that up because I have had some serious like moments of guilt and shame over how dirty my, my home is all the time. Oh. And I'm like, but like, so like it is like, it just, it just is. And it's not like, you know, unhe- unhealthy, but, right. but it's definitely not as clean as I want it to be. And I know, like, I know enough now that one day I'm going to like miss the, miss all the chaos, miss the background noise, miss the, I will not miss stepping on chewed up crackers on the damn floor. I'll tell you that. Nope. That I will not miss, <laughs> but you know, it's just, we, we do the best that we can. <laughs> just, yeah. So, but yeah, so we've gotten some new stuff just to sort of use our space to the best of our ability and give us more places to sit and hang out. And it's been really nice. One of the things that we got was um, a new dining table, which may seem kind of like trivial, but it's actually been really nice because the we didn't really have a dining table, so to speak, before. We had like one of those um, like bar bistro sets and they are not kid friendly. No, I, every one of our kids both of us have gotten stranded in the middle of that bistro set. Like there's like a little, I don't even know how to describe it. Like there's like a a cross piece under the table. That's just high enough that when you are crawling, you cannot get from one (laughs) side of it to the other. You just get like, like, it's like a turtle on their back. Like they cannot move. So (laughs) (laughs) that makes me laugh to think about it every time. But I've, before I've saved all of these children, I have taken videos and photos, but yeah, so I have, I have one of all of them, but anyway, so we got like a, a normal height, um, dining table and chairs and it's been really nice because actually like we've all been sitting at it for almost all of our meals and talking and it's been really sweet actually. So that's awesome. Yeah. And I love, like, I love to hear you sort of letting go of those expectations of having a perfect house because I feel like there's a lot of that that we tend to feel guilt about having you know not having things the way that we 
you know, had them before we had kids or something. But I can tell you, you know, all of my youngest is five now and your oldest is five. Mm -hmm. And we just got to the point where we put all the toys in the kids room and we have like legit adult spaces now. And it feels amazing. And it doesn't seem to feel limiting to the kids. And so I was like, okay, this is like the next phase. <laughs> and so. So you know, there's hope for me yet. There's hope. <laughs> there's like, it, it'll happen. Like there were so many years of having toys just strewn across our yeah. entire living room and boxes of toys in all the corners. <laughs> I'll tell you what I'll miss about that actually is my husband's spectacular ability to trip over almost anything in his yes. path whether or not he knows it's there <laughs> i have seen this and it is some kind of comic relief that you just can't get anywhere else oh my gosh and i like there was one time when he like he fell like forward like fell from like one corner of the room to the next and he just kept he just kept going and i was rolling and then i was like are you okay <laughs> are you okay <laughs> it's like it just came out and then after things calmed down i was like you'll notice and i asked you twice if you were okay before i really let go and he goes oh yeah you're a real saint <laughs> <laughs> you were able to squeeze it out right before all the giggles erupted <laughs> it was so funny oh so so but yeah, so we are really excited to talk about um, our topic for today because, um, well, because we sort of like ruffling feathers when it's things that matter to us. Yeah. <laughs> so I, it was like Troublemaker Tuesday yesterday. It was. Yeah. And actually it wasn't me this time. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> See, like every once in a while, I'll just get my little stick out and poke that bear <laughs> We had to make sure that we had to make sure that everybody knew that it wasn't it's not only Kara that does this. Uh, I think it bothers me because there was a person that commented on one of the particularly like I, inflammatory is not the right word I want to use, but it, it's it's about the right word. But we we tend to post things every once in a while that we're like, yeah, this is the line in the sand. Yep, and. Like we are challenging you to think a little bit differently. Right. Mm -hmm. And so somebody commented on it and it was our business post. Yes. And they were like, Oh yeah, Cara. And like, they knew it was me. And I was like, how did you know it was me? Like how did, like it could have been Jill. <laughs> and, but in general, in our relationship, I've been more of the instigator with some of these things. And Jill is more of the, like the quiet backing me up like she'll she I'm trying to think of how to put it because it's not like you don't have the same belief system it is just that your approach is so different typically it is typically it is very different and I um I just don't if if I I, I kind of take inventory before I engage with those things. And most of the time, most of the time I don't honestly, like yeah. most of the time I don't engage with those things because I don't think that the end result is going to be worth my time and energy. Mm -hmm. But with this particular thing, I was like, Nope, we're saying something. Mm -hmm. And rather than, um, rather than like, comp well, we'll get into the details of this, but it was, it, it was over a post that we had saw on somebody else's page, but rather than comment directly on their page, we decided to, you know, 
put it on our page because mm-hmm. it's good information for our people. Yeah. So. so anytime we do any kind of work, whether it's on like fat phobia or the toxicity within the fitness industry or racism or things like that, we always have to like gauge, is it worth it? Do I have time in my day? Do I know this person well enough that I know how it will be received? Um, should I DM this person instead of posting on their timelines? I don't usually like, well, I used to, but I don't, <laughs> I don't usually make a snarky comment on someone's timeline. If I know them personally, I will just contact them privately. Um, and even if I don't know them, I've done that. I've contacted people mm-hmm. privately and been like, hey, uh, this thing that this vlog that you did was kind of fat phobic or hasn't always been well received. Has no, it? <laughs> most of the time not. But I think like, hey, if I'm a tugboat and like toxic fitness culture and whatever racism, fat phobia is like the big tanker whatever that got stuck in the Suez canal <laughs> like little by little i'm gonna move that bitch like i'm just gonna yep. like <laughs> the little tugboat that could yep yep that's me absolutely <laughs> yeah well and that's one of the reasons why we say anything to in the first place because we want other little tugboats out there we have mm-hmm. enough tugboats we can we can make some change yeah so yeah. get enough tugboats who wants to be a tugboat with us we <laughs> So this post, I originally saw this post and I I saw it and it was like, and then I slept on it for a night because I was like, no, I'm not going to say it. It, It's it's someone that both Jill and I have worked with in the industry Mm -hmm. and we've worked with not just in the industry, but in the same gym. Yeah. In the same, like, so we know this person history. This person has been, you know, a friend in, you know, with our, our families, um, But we've also seen this person really struggle themselves with um, diet culture. Mm -hmm. You know, every every year or so, there was like a new diet fad that he was following. Yes. And and every time it was like, that's the right one. Mm -hmm. Right? And we've all been there. Jill and I have been there. We have, there was just a few years ago, we were presenting at a paleo conference. Yeah. So like, I'm not, I'm not saying that we are better than this person, Um, but it's like one of those things, like once you see diet culture for what it is, and you really start looking at the research, it's really hard to see it any other way. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so tell them about the post. Tell them about the post that I sent you. So I took, I sent it to her, and I was like, "Look at this bullshit!" Because <laughs> he was starting, he's starting this new, this new eating program for his clients. Yes, he's selling this thing. Yeah. So the the post more or less said something like, "After X number of years of experience and trying every sort of." Um, nutrition program out there. I know that there's a right way and a wrong way to use food. And then he sort of breaks it down where he's talking about like, this isn't, this isn't a diet. This is an anti-diet. And then he goes on to list the foods that you should quote unquote should eat. And then there's pyramid, there's food pyramid. And we've all seen food pyramids. 
and there's a food pyramid and i'm like this is really it's problematic so car goes so how do you call it a not diet if you're telling people what to eat and i was like right so what i did with the screenshot that she sent me i was like i nerded out on it i highlighted all the things that i didn't think that i thought were problematic and then i like sent her this like bullet point list of like here's why this is shit here's as she this does is. as i guess <laughs> and so and so what came of that and we talked about like reaching out to this person personally and you know, I, we have history of having conversations with this person in the past, and they typically don't result in changed behavior. It's not exactly met with resistance or like aggressiveness. It just, it just results in the same behavior. And I'm like, yeah, I just don't, I'm, I'm not into it. But what we did do was create our own post. And I'll tell you what it says. (laughs) (laughs) I'll open it up. I've got my Instagram, our Instagram, I hardly ever use my personal one. I really should get on that. Um, So what it says is signs that you are being sold a diet while being told that it's not a diet. You're being told that there is a right way and a wrong way to eat. References are made to eating quote unquote real food. You are being told that your adherence to eating this quote unquote real food will determine your success or your Mm -hmm. failure. There is a food pyramid and a list of what foods you open quote end quote should eat. There is a catchy slogan about eating well equaling being well. If you see any of these signs, but you are told that it's not a diet, that it's an anti-diet or that it's a lifestyle, you are being sold a diet under a different name. Consumers beware. Yes. And so you may be thinking like, well, what's so bad about telling people that there's good foods or bad foods, right? Like that's something that we've all, we've all grown up sort of thinking that, that there are good foods and bad foods. There's healthy foods and there's not healthy foods. And sure, like on a, on a, a range, there, there, some foods are better for your body than others. Right. But here's where that becomes problematic is that everybody is different. And when you have a pyramid that says you should eat more of this stuff and less of this stuff, that's not necessarily true for everyone. Right. Like an Inuit might have a completely different diet than someone living in the United States and might feel better with a higher fat diet because of their genetic makeup and their biological history. Right. Um, But we don't know that until we start learning how to listen to our bodies and what kind of foods really do make us feel better. And so, but many of us don't know how to listen to our bodies. We lost that when we, you know, turned five or six because we've been told by other people for so long that some foods are bad and some foods are good and we have rules not intuition right right and one of the very this, <laughs> this really kind of got to me one of the very first people that commented on that post was you guessed it a white male trainer and he basically was saying kind of like what car already touched on like well it sounds like you're saying that they're there shouldn't be a hierarchy of uh, foods that are bad for you versus foods that are good for you or that people shouldn't be taught that. And it's like, you're, you're totally missing the point here because Mm -hmm. (laughs) like, I'm not going to argue 
I'm not going to argue with you that, you know, lean chicken breast is higher in nutritional value for the human body over like a slice of chocolate cake. Like that's not what I'm talking about. It's not about the food because what we see happen and what we saw happen with this post um, by our, our former colleague is that it's when you start to tie morality into the food pyramid or the hierarchy of food that becomes problematic because then you're, it's about good foods versus bad, bad foods, guilt and shame over eating good foods versus bad, bad foods. And it's about, it's about morality. It's not about the food anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's where we have a big problem. Right. Because this, it, we might think like, oh, being judgy about good food and bad food isn't really a big deal, but this actually does have costs to people health costs to people because out of this kind of duality of like good and bad and and you're a good person if you eat good food that's where a lot of the stereotypes about people who live in larger bodies come from Mm -hmm. we have these stereotypes that they're lazy Mm -hmm. that they cost us money that they you know they're they're a danger to themselves in society and it's one of the only groups of people that it's still acceptable to discriminate against and you know what discrimination does it causes stress and inflammation that causes poor health outcomes yep so the fact that someone who is obese is dealing with with oppression on a daily basis, less likely to be hired for a job, less likely to get the kind of unbiased medical care they deserve, Um, you know, less likely to feel comfortable going to the gym. And we all know that exercise does improve health outcomes. So you're, you are attaching this good and bad that are creating these these like very solid stereotypes that are actually hurting people. So when, when trainers and fitness professionals who say that they just want to help people be healthier, what really helps people be healthier is fighting oppression Mm -hmm. and not doing things that helps to stigmatize groups of people. And Sometimes we do this without even realizing we're doing it. Like we, we don't know, like maybe mm-hmm. like a lot of, a lot of trainers have not done this research have, you know, they just are taught fat is bad. Our goal is to eradicate obesity from the planet mm-hmm. so that we can help people be the best selves they can be. Well, really Obesity is not necessarily unhealthy. There are some studies that show that if you are, if you live in a bigger body, you're actually more likely to live longer and be able to survive illnesses later in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean the term obesity in general, the term the the globalization of obesity epidemic, like that whole thing, mm-hmm. <laughs> it, the BMI scale, God, don't get me started on the BMI scale, but like all of that stuff is man-made. Mm-hmm. And guess what? The people who made it have vested interest in making money. Right. <laughs> Just saying. So, <clears throat> so posts like this can be really problematic. Selling products like this can be really problematic when you're, you're using shame to sell, when you're using like morality to sell and that you're sort of assuming that like that everyone has access to the same things 
And then this is another really big one. Yes. So if you say, okay, so I've discovered after all my years of, tr of trying all these different diets that a plant-based uh, diet is the best. So, okay, well, so it's like, okay, well, I'm going to go, you know, I'm buy all these vegetables. Like, okay, but, but only buy organic vegetables, right? Mm -hmm. Or I'm going to go buy um, a bunch of tofu. It's like, oh gosh, but soy, you know, increases your estrogen levels. And so you don't want to do that. You got to have this, you know, special, you know, I don't know, like bird poop. <laughs> just, just, just. Fertilized yeah. special bird poop. Yeah. Make like, sure it's organic. Yeah. Just look up and open your mouth. <laughs> right? It's going to be the next thing that Gwyneth Paltrow sells. I know. It's like, it's like this protein is 100% dehydrated bird poop. <laughs> And it smells like it. my vagina. I caught it in my mouth myself <laughs> while I was carrying my yoni egg. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we digress. Yes. So, but you you start to you start to get into all of this like all these like health foods, and some say you take somebody who doesn't have access to enough food anyway, right. or doesn't have the money to spend on special diet foods, which always cost more yep. than just regular food. And you know what matters the most when you're talking about food is that you have, have enough. enough, you have enough to eat. Right. And so that should be at the bottom of the pyramid, having <laughs> enough to eat. Seriously. So, so there, that in itself can be really problematic. So anytime we start talking about like good and bad foods and, and special diets and some foods, you know, like need, need to be eaten over others, like you really kind of put yourself down this rabbit hole of um, excluding people. And the other point that I think is really important to be made is that most people who have eating disorders are not thin, right? There is this stereotype that people who have eating disorders are these emaciated, very thin people. And that is definitely a part of it. And those are sort of become like the poster child of this disease, mm -hmm. right? But people who live in larger bodies also have eating disorders. Yep. And they're often ignored by their doctor, sometimes until they're too late. There was a story I, I read just recently about a woman who had an eating disorder and it was so bad. She had thrown up so much that her throat was so swollen that she'd gotten to where she couldn't even swallow her own saliva, couldn't swallow water, which is incredibly dangerous. That's when people die. She went to the doctor and her doctor celebrated her weight loss. Oh and sent her home before being sent back to the ER by her, by her counselor. So, so, you know, there's, there's so much there because even a professional in the medical field did not take her seriously. And so we as fitness professionals who are not trained to see these kinds of things, 
don't probably don't think about them that often. And really, a lot of the behaviors that are touted in the diet industry as good behaviors mm-hmm. are act are the same behaviors that are listed as the behaviors of a dis- eating disorder. Yep. So when yep. you're when you say like only eat this stuff and don't eat this stuff and you take someone who has an eating disorder who has that sort of um that that thing inside them that causes them to latch onto rules and to you know be very hard and strict with their their food intake you could be exacerbating someone's eating disorder mm-hmm. yeah and the assumption is made with with posts like that as well that you the assumption is made that who you're reaching wants to lose weight. Mm-hmm. Like that's not everybody's goal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is a lot of people's goal. It is. And the reason why is because we associate weight loss and fitness with health. Right. And that's what I want to talk about next. Yes. She <laughs> <laughs> can't even plan those types of transitions. No, bam. There you go. Take <laughs> it away. <laughs> so, so, the connection between health and thinness has not always been a thing. In fact, I have a couple examples to give you. Uh, there is a historian that studies girls' diaries, and she did the study of like for like in the 1920s when she was reading these diaries of these girls, their focus was on like improving their lives where when she looked at the diaries of girls in the 1990s, the focus was almost entirely on improving their bodies and spending money on products to improve their bodies. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's one thing. So like the focus on like, like improving yourself, like self-improvement has not always been about getting fitter, thinner and things like that. So if the idea of, of thin equals health came after the obsession with thinness, mm-hmm. where did the obsession with thinness come from? <laughs> what? I, oh. I'm trying to pitch it to Jill. Oh, are you, Jill, you know the answer to this question. <laughs> the, obses- the obsession with thinness came, came from uh, the roots of it came from slavery. Yes. Ding, 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 ding. (laughs) Okay. So, and if we're about to lose you here, stay with us for a second. Yeah. Here's out. During the Renaissance, you might see a lot of paintings of women who are very voluptuous, Mm -hmm. round, seeking pleasure. Like maybe they're naked and they're eating. Who knows? Like they're like it's it it's they're like they're definitely not what we would consider beautiful today. But those paintings were depicting the absolute ideal body type of the time. This is what these artists considered to be the most beautiful, mm-hmm. right? So around this same time, a lot of travel started to happen. And when I say travel. I also mean acquisition of slaves. Mm-hmm. So people were traveling in order to find quote unquote workers for their mission, whatever their plantations. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so as usually happens when there is a lot of travel, that there was a lot of race mixing. And during the sort of the tail end of the Renaissance, you'll also start seeing that some of these artists started painting pictures of black women. Mm -hmm. And this became problematic because this was at the very start of the enlightenment, which is where there was a lot of control. We started talking about morality. Hierarchies became incredibly important. Mm -hmm. um, pleasure was sort of out, right? It was like, oh no, pleasure is different than the pursuits of the mind and pursuits of the mind were more important. And so in order to differentiate themselves from these round uh, voluptuous bodies, people started trying to lose weight in order to prove their, their moral superiority, mm -hmm. which they had linked to their genetic superiority. Because if they could say, okay, these thin Eurocentric bodies were better than these, what became these big stereotypes about black bodies, which really they're, there were a bunch, there were a bunch of white women and all different kinds of people with these same kind of bodies. Right. But they became the stereotypes for black bodies, like these round, bigger, robust, like pleasurable kind of bodies. They could say we are better than them. Mm -hmm. And during that time, doctors were even taking out ads in women's magazines, begging them to stop trying to lose weight because they were tr becoming too thin and sickly. Yeah. So, which is wildly different than the treatment that overweight people receive in the doctor's office today. Right. But the very desire to be thin was not rooted in health at all. It was rooted in trying to differentiate themselves from the black bodies of their slaves. Yes. So, I may have got like, I, I get a little lost in the weeds because there's just so much information about that. If you're interested in learning more about that, I would read anything you can by Sabrina Strings. Yes. She is really, really knowledgeable on it. Um, I sometimes can trip over some of the history of it. I think I got it, but yeah, there's so much to it. Um, there are lots of little things. And, and once you, once you dive into the history of diet culture, like going all the way back as far as you can, it makes perfect sense. Um, like why people are where they're at today because of the evolution of diet culture and its permeance in our, in Western society. Um, so that's, <laughs> here's the thing. <laughs> if you find yourself like when you see things like, like what we posted and that, you know, white male trainer was pushing back. If you find yourself feeling a little bit edgy, a little bit uncomfortable, a little bit like defensive, then I would really encourage you to lean into that and ask yourself why. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes, sometimes you're feeling that way for a legitimate reason. And sometimes you're feeling that way because it's challenging your belief system and you, you kind of don't know what to do. Like, mm -hmm. this is what I've always held true. Like, what if that's not true? Then what do I do? Mm -hmm. And that can be kind of um, world, world rocking for some people. Yeah, it, it can be. And, um, 
And so are we calling this trainer who did the post or the white male trainer who responded to us, are we calling them racist? Not necessarily. Like what we're saying is that we sometimes unknowingly participate in institutional or systematic racist things. Yes. It's about being willing to lean into that uncomfortableness and just like, and be okay with it and know better and do better. Mm -hmm. The same is true for diet culture stuff. Like, like maybe, maybe that person had never thought of it that way before. Okay. Well, you know, what can you learn from that? He never came back and responded by the way, but Mm -hmm. uh, at least not (laughs) as of today. So there are things that we can all, all of us can learn and do better. All of us can. I'm going to mess it up from here until I take my last Mm -hmm. breath, but I'm okay with being called out and questioned Mm -hmm. like, cause that's how you learn. That's how you grow. Well, and the thing about anti-racist work and sort of the beauty and the freedom in it is that, is that I don't, I don't have to expect Jill to be to not have any racism in her and she doesn't have to expect that for me, Mm -hmm. but we both agree like in our business and as friends and as humans on this planet that like we will actively work to be anti-racist. Yes. We still grew up steeped in systems and institutions and a culture that is racist, but that doesn't mean that we are just throw our hands up and say, oh, well, that's just how I learned. That's just how it is. Yeah. No, like we, we can say we dedicate any opportunity that we have to being anti-racist in our business and our relationships with one another, with mm-hmm. our clients. And so, and there's a beauty in that. Like we don't have to be perfect. No. And that's just the thing is like, be the opposite of being racist is not not racist. <laughs> the opposite of, of racist should be anti-racist. And if you're anti-racist and not just not racist, then you're having these hard conversations. And you know, quite frankly, not everybody's up for it. So mm-hmm. yeah. I'll <laughs> I, tell you how most of my conversations with with white men when I've called them out on things that were sexist, racist, or fat phobic. And they've all gone fairly poorly. But I still think that like, well, that was one touch and I'm a tugboat and maybe there'll be another touch by a different tugboat. And then someday they'll be like, hey, I remember when that one chick contacted me about this photo I posted that she said was problematic. And Mm -hmm. now I kind of think it might have been like, who knows? You never know. It could be, it could be tomorrow. It could be years from now, but keep tugging your tugboats, people. That's right. <laughs> kind of sounds a little suggestive. <laughs> and I mean, my tugboat right now. <laughs> I mean that in every sense of the word. <laughs> I mean, anti-racism is very sexy. <laughs> so, so, so here's like to kind of wrap things up. You know, we saw this post, Some we chose to engage in the way that we thought was appropriate, but it really, it really plays to how insidious diet culture is because it has sort of sneaked its way into the wellness industry mm-hmm. because now 
you know, wellness is, is starting to be linked with thinness and, you know, mm-hmm. and, and so, so many diets and lifestyle changes and things like that, that we see now are just the diet industry in sheep's clothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is exactly what, what I saw with yeah. this post. So, but yeah. So keep tugging your tugboats. <laughs> That's the moral of the story. If you remember nothing else. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to put that up on the sticky note. <laughs> that sounds like we need to make another sweatshirt. <laughs> keep tugging your tugboats, people. <laughs> <laughs> So that's all that we have for you today. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the push podcast, please subscribe, comment, review, share. The more subscriptions and reviews we get, the more visibility we get in our podcast platforms. So if you could do that for us, we would appreciate it. And we will uh, see you next time. 